Praise the Lord. It is so good to see you this morning. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? You know, I'm a Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Presbyterian, <laughs> preacher, teacher, amen? And so in the Baptist church, we would say, turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to see you this morning. Turn to your neighbor. Now turn back to that same neighbor and say, I hope you're glad to see me. <laughs> Amen. It's good to see you this morning, and I hope you are glad to see me. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. The psalmist says, in Psalm 46.10, to be still. And not just to be still for the sake of being still, <laughs> but to be still and to keep in mind that he is Lord. That he's exalted above every situation. He's exalted above every concern and that he is present with us. Be still and know, not doubt, not question, that he is God. So whatever's on your heart, whatever concerns you have, place them at the feet of Jesus. Just release, just let go, just be. In Jesus' name, amen. Give an honor to President Timothy C. Tennant, Dr. Winfield Bevins, Vice President of Formation, Ms. Donna Covington, staff, professors, and students. This morning I will share on justice, reconciliation, and soul care. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, some key fashions were bell-bottom pants. Does anybody remember? <laughs> Mini skirts, maxi coats, and bright colors that penetrated the eyes. Key singing groups included the Jackson Five, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, as well as Diana Ross and the... In the 60s and 70s, frequently used words included soul sister, soul brother, soul food, and soul train. <laughs> In this context, soul was an attribute that described the commonality of a people, food, and dance. Other popular words during this era included civil rights, equality, women's liberation, and justice. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, justice is the maintenance of what is just or right by the exercise of authority or power. Simply put, Justice is receiving 
what is due to faithful believers. Justice is what God has for you. Justice is who God is because God is just. And we are called to do justice and to live in love. Justice and reconciliation go hand in hand. Reconciliation means bringing back together again. In the Greek, reconciliation means to exchange, to change, or to effect a change. Reconciliation refers to bringing together two persons or parties through forgiveness after being distanced, separated, or conflicted. The Apostle Paul notes that restoration can occur after two groups have been at odds, according to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, King Solomon cries out for God's mercy to be granted to God's people who were experiencing the repercussions of their behavior. In chapter 6, King Solomon laments as he seeks God for healing. God responds in chapter 7 and verse 14. And God says, as you have heard already, if, that's conditional, if my people, not the people of the world, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Then God makes a promise. He says, then and only then will I hear from heaven, forgive the sin, and heal the land. And I believe that you would agree with me this morning that our land needs healing. First of all, humility. We have to humble ourselves. Secondly, pray. Third, diligently seek his face. And lastly, turn from our wicked ways. Repent, and God says, I will heal the land. This is the prescription for receiving God's healing, experiences justice, and living a life of reconciliation. This was the need for people thousands of years ago, and today the need remains. Therefore, it is today that we intentionally humble ourselves. It is today that we intentionally pray. It is today that we intentionally seek his face, and it is today that we intentionally turn from our wicked ways. And it is after we have humbled ourselves. It is after we fall on our face and lay prostrate before the Lord that our land will be healed. And Jesus lets us know that some things only come out with prayer and fasting. It is after we have prayed and cried that our land will be healed. 
It is after we have sought his face with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength that our land will be healed. It is after we have come away from social media. It is after we have stopped answering all the text messages. It is after we have turned off the television. It is after we have cried out with humble hearts and said, have mercy upon us, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your trans, according to the multitude of your mercies, blot out all of our transgressions. And then God promises us that he will forgive us of our sins as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Have mercy on us, dear God. It is after we have repented and turned that our land will be healed. And I don't know about you, but I do believe that God will heal our land. A clap goes right there. Hallelujah. He will heal COVID-19. A clap goes right there. He will heal our broken families. A clap goes right there. He will heal our schools and universities and seminaries. He will heal our cities. And he will heal the United States of America. Like King Solomon, the prophet Amos examined the trajectory of Israel. In Amos chapter 5, he laments for the state of God's people. The Israelites were living during dark, dismal, and gloomy days. Nonetheless, God in his gracious love desired for them to encounter justice and righteousness. He desired them to be reconciled to the relationship he created them to encounter. My sisters and my brothers, when persons, when you and I are committed to reconcile, we will experience moments of lament. Lament promotes individual and personal shalom. Let me share a little story that I believe sheds light on a lamenting soul, a call to justice and the need to reconcile. It was nine o'clock a.m. on Thursday morning September the 24th, 2020. My husband Gilbert and I had completed our devotional time and were lounging in our master bedroom. Then we heard the telephone ringing. I immediately reached for it. It was our daughter Vernay calling. I answered with great joy the telephone was on speaker, therefore both my husband and I could clearly hear her voice. Needless to say, our only daughter had our full attention. All we heard on the other end of the telephone line was a desperate, lamenting cry. We listened. In our minds, we were both thinking, what in the world is going on? We thought to ourselves, was there an accident? Was someone hurt? What was the origin of her, of her pain and anguish? As she kept sobbing, endless questions filled our minds. Thoughts wandered here and thoughts wandered there. 
Then her dad said, Vernay, we love you. God loves you. You are special. It will be all right. She continued to cry profusely. We listened as we prayed silently as we wondered what was on her heart and what could have happened. When there was a pause in her sobbing, I said, Brene, what is going on? She was barely able to speak, but softly uttered, Brianna Taylor. I said, Brianna Taylor? She said, yes. It could have been me. Mom, it's not right. I cannot believe this happened. As she continued to talk, she shared her heartfelt emotions about this 2020 case. After listening attentively, I said, Brene, what else is on your mind? As she continued to weep, she began to reflect on a kindergarten bus ride experience she encountered while we were living in Hillsborough, New Jersey. This elementary school was predominantly white. In 1985, she was assigned to sit next to Mark and Jack on the school bus. As she reflected on her kindergarten bus ride, she remembered being called out of her name. We still could hear her sobbing as the story unraveled. As she proceeded to pour out her heart, she was also mindful of being falsely accused of using profanity in the fourth grade. Someone reported to Mrs. Smith that a student used inappropriate language. Mrs. Smith did not know the guilty party, therefore she assumed it was our daughter. The teacher was convinced that if anyone used such language, it had to be her. Consequently, Verne was reprimanded and held up in a corner by her teacher in the girls' bathroom. Even though Verne clearly explained it was not her and that her family did not use such profane language, Mrs. Smith still did not believe her. All this and so much more was on Verne's tender heart. The tragedy of Breonna Taylor made the past experiences and memories feel like yesterday. Needless to say, the court case was and remains very painful. Situations like these can make the future appear very daunting. My husband and I were emotionally torn as we listened to our daughter. All our hearts were broken because when one hurts, we all hurts. As a community, our hearts cry. Regardless of the challenges we discussed on the telephone, the three of us ended our conversation in prayer and hope. Over that weekend of September the 24th, 2020, Gilbert and I discussed the pain of our precious daughter. We were mindful of her inclusive nature. We talked about her, how her heart ached over any kind of injustice. 
As a child, Verne and I talked about equity and justice for all humanity. I remember teaching her the song that my white male teacher, Mr. Petzer, taught the students in fourth grade in 1964. Even though I am originally from Whiteville, North Carolina, I attended the fourth to sixth grade at Carter G. Woodson School in Baltimore, Maryland. This school was predominantly African-American children. Mr. Petzer taught our class the song. I later taught our daughter. Perhaps some of you know it. It goes like this. Good night, I said to my little son. So tired when the day was done. Then he said, as I tucked him in, tell me, Daddy, what color is God's skin? What color is God's skin? What color is God's skin? I said, it's black, brown, yellow. Is it red? Is it white? Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. He looked at me with his shining eyes. I knew I could tell no lies. He said, Daddy, why do the different races fight if everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight? What color is God's skin? What color is God's skin? I said, it's black, brown, yellow. Is it red? Is it white? Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. Good Lord's sight. I believe this song is one entity that was instrumental in forming Bernays' theology. It exemplifies her cry for justice and the ongoing need for reconciliation. I pray it is transformative and applicable in our theological formation as well. We all serve the same God who is spirit and God who is spirit is colorless. God who is spirit is a God of justice. God who is spirit is a God of reconciliation. God who is spirit is a God of soul care. God of faith, God of hope, and God of love. We must always be cognizant that we are many members and one body. One cannot say to another that I do not need you. You need me and I need you. And it is together that we can make the world a better place. Like the prophet Amos, we must have a built-in tenacity that desires for justice to roll down like waters for all. We must desire that righteousness be like an ever-flowing stream for all. In Jesus' name, give God some praise. In my book, Soul Care in African American Practice, I share the journey of an Africana people, spiritual giants, and formative disciples. Let us now turn to a few slides that provide an overview 
of my book. The first slide is the cover, which has won, this book has won the award from Westmont and Dallas Willard Research Book of the Year. We give God praise for that. This book has won the Westmont and Dallas Willard Research Book of the Year Award. Let's give God praise for that. Amen. And also has received numerous rewards from InterVarsity Press. We have a workbook and a video, audio, and Kindle. We will now go to the slides that look at our transition as people of color from Africa. We're talking about justice and reconciliation. And so back in the early 1600s, around 1619, a voyage, a voyage began for thousands of Africana people, mainly from the west coast of Africa. They were transported on a ship. And the picture that I have of the ship today is called the Wildfire from April, June, 1860. They were packed like cattle on a ship. The men were on the bottom and the women were up top. So the challenge I took on in this book as I wrote about soul care and African-American practice was to identify spirituality in particular spiritual direction and soul care from an African-American perspective. And the Lord led me to identify 10 spiritual leaders, they're all doctors, Dr. Douglas, Dr. King, Dr. Parks, Dr. Griffin, Dr. Weems, Dr. Carter, Dr. Ingram, Dr. Coretta Scott King, Dr. Washington, and Dr. Howard Thurman. In the book, I talk about the disciplines of prayer, soul care and spiritual direction, Visio Divina, Lectio Divina, Meditation and Contemplation, Civil Rights as a Discipline, the Discipline of Detachment and Attachment, the Discipline of Rest, and the Discipline of Suffering. One of the leaders that I identify as a spiritual giant is Dr. Frederick Douglass. Dr. Douglas learned to read from his slave master's wife, Mrs. Auld. Mrs. Auld was reading to her children, her boys, and she saw Douglas peeping through the corner, and she saw that he has an interest. Therefore, she took the time to teach Dr. Douglas to read. It was a slow reading, and I identified that slow reading as Lectio Divina. As we look for a spiritual giant that practices spiritual direction from an African-American context, I identified Dr. Martin Luther King. God used Dr. King to be instrumental in shaping our nation. God used him to direct millions of people. What a voice of a spiritual director. The next person I share is none other than the precious Dr. Rosa Parks. She received several honorary doctoral degrees. She was a woman that was committed to the spirit of justice and reconciliation 
so much so that she found herself sitting on the front of an Alabama bus in the 1950s. I identified Dr. Rosa Parks as a woman that practiced meditation and contemplation. It is this energy, it, it is, it, these disciplines are the disciplines that she brought on the front of that Alabama bus. And last but not least is none other than Dr. Howard Thurman. Dr. Thurman talks about the discipline of suffering. He, said, he says, without suffering, there is no freedom. And perhaps that is the way that freedom pays for its ride. And lastly, I have a slide that I would like to share with you that truly exemplifies the spirit that embraces all of our souls, that desires for all of us to experience justice, and that died so that we all could be reconciled back to him and to each other. I have a prayer that I will read to you, and then I have a prayer that we will pray together. The prayer that I would like to share comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And it says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. We are in the midst of African American History Month, and I am delighted to be with you today. As we shared earlier, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, the Bible calls us to humble ourselves. And Jesus promises us that when we humble ourselves that we'll be exalted. He does the exaltation. Humble ourselves. And when we read Matthew chapter 6, the word teaches us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And we start off with our Father, which art in heaven, a beautiful model prayer. But if we back up in that passage, Jesus taught his disciples, he says, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. Do not pray like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but when you pray, he says, enter your closet. And he says, your father who is in secret will reward you openly. So to not, right now, we're getting ready to enter into the closet. And in order to enter the closet, we must humble ourselves. We must position ourselves to come into God's presence. 
We can't just bust up on God any old kind of way. He, yes, he tells us to come as we are. But we need to posture ourselves to pray. So the first posture is a posture of humility. So even now, let us humble ourselves. And see yourself with God in the secret place. See yourself preparing to go beyond the veil. See yourself coming from the outer court to the inner court into the holy of holies. Prepare your heart and pray like David, search me, O God. Search us, dear Jesus. We humble ourselves in your presence. And we're here to pray. We're not here for form or fashion. We're not here out of tradition. We're here because we desire to make a difference in our homes, in our churches, in our families, in our communities, in our schools, in our city, in our nation, and in the world. We desire to make a difference. But God, we know we can only make a difference with you. Humble us. And as we come in prayer, God, we want to let you know that we love you. We love you with all of our heart. We love you with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. But we thank you for first loving us. We thank you for looking beyond our faults and seeing our very needs. We thank you for loving us unconditionally. We thank you that you died on the cross for us. You love that Jesus died on the cross for us. You love us just that much that you gave your only begotten son. So God, right now, we re we're in this secret closet and we receive your love. Fill us with your love. Saturate us with your love. Wrap us in your arms, dear Jesus. We come seeking your face. As was said in the prayer earlier, we're not seeking our own face. We're not seeking our own will. We're not seeking our own desire. We are only seeking you. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, move in this room. Sanctify, saturate this room with your presence. We seek your face, dear God. And we turn not to go out this door the way we came. We turn to you. We turn from our sinful thoughts. We turn from our anxiousness. We turn from our busyness. We turn from our agendas. We turn to you. And we end up in your arms. We end up in your holy presence. We desire to abide in this secret closet to rest, to stay. And God, you promised us 
that you will hear from your heavens, <laughs> the heavens of heavens. You promised us that you will forgive us of our sins. So whatever we need to be forgiven of, we lay that at the cross and we ask you to forgive us. And God, heal our land. Heal our community. Heal our government. Heal our seminaries. Heal our children, our marriages, our siblings. We need healing. Heal us in the classroom. Heal our professors. My God, whatever healing needs to take place right here in this Kentucky area, in Lexington, we speak healing over this land. We thank you for the pastures. We thank you for the green. We thank you for the rolling hills. But God, where there is division, we bind it right now in the name of Jesus. And we say, make us one. United, we stand but divided we fall. Have mercy. Mercy suits our case. And we will be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory because you are worthy to be praised from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Amen. Amen.